Welcome back to the EdTech Takeout. This is episode 113. My name is Mindy Carney, and I am joined by my co-host Gina Rogers and teammate Corey Rogers. Glad to have you here today, ladies. Thanks for coming in. Yay. (laughs) As promised in the not so distant past, we're excited to talk about artificial intelligence today. And we've brought on a special guest, Charlotte Dungan. Welcome, Charlotte, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Glad to be here. So do you mind telling us a little bit um, about yourself and how you became an expert in artificial intelligence? Well, first, I'd like to say I am an expert in artificial intelligence education, not an expert programmer from MIT or something like that. I was a computer programmer and database designer for 10 years in industry and then um, decided I wanted to go back and teach and worked in education for, oh gosh, almost almost 20 years. I'm going to go ahead and say almost 20 years. Um, but I've always taught STEM, AI, computer science, uh, developed programs, but really my love is students. Um, the technology is the thing we teach because we think it empowers students um, That's what I think I'm an expert in, not in creating AI systems. All right. So um, can you tell us, if I don't know anything about artificial intelligence, what is artificial intelligence? Baseline knowledge here, foundational knowledge. Uh, It's really fun to answer this question because I work for the AI Education Project. That is an educational organization that's promoting AI education for all students with an equity lens. And we actually don't internally agree on what AI is, and the industry doesn't agree either. So we are actually um, working on an article right now that says why it's so hard to define artificial intelligence, what you might do with that. Um, but generally, if you're wondering if you've heard that term, in it depends because um, the technology is evolving and that your context matters. So artificially intelligent computer programs um, make predictions. They use data to um, formulate solutions and um, they are often uh, only able to do a single task. Um, So those are are some general parameters. I'm gonna go further and say AI for K-12 has a great resource um, where they have five big ideas in AI. So they, um, those five big ideas are um, sensors and perception. So perception is how we understand the world, like touch and taste, and computers have analogs to those, which are the sensors that they use, like a microphone um, is how you would process sound. We have ears that process sound. We might use speakers, for example. So sensors and perception, then representation and reasoning. A representation is how we um, understand the world. So um, if I gave you a Google map, that would be a representation of your city, um, but it wouldn't necessarily be your city. So you might see a road or uh, a building, but you wouldn't necessarily see the bushes. The representation captures the important data and leaves out the others. Um, Then an AI system learns from data over time. So if you have that same Google map 
and you have cars driving on the street, if they're going at a slower speed than um, a car, you know, that normally drives down that road is, then the map will turn yellow and that's responsive. Um, that's the artificial intelligence built into that map. You can perform reasoning on it by making decisions based on what you see. So for example, a bike trail is used by a different type of vehicle than where a bus might go. And a bus might go somewhere different than where a car might go and also where a person might walk. And so by by performing reasoning, we can make maps that are safe for people, um, that we don't try to make a car drive on a bike path, for example. Um, and that over time, these systems get better and better at what it is they're supposed to do. That's learning from data um, that we want it to, you know, at the places that are represented on maps that are traveled heavily by people with cell phones are going to be more accurate than those that aren't um, traveled by people with cell phones. So, um, for example, in more rural uh, countries, places with less access to technology or the internet, the mapping simply isn't as good. Um, and then in terms of uh, the fifth idea that is about the ethical impacts of AI, there are both positives and negatives to this technology. For example, if you're using that same map and you um, are sharing your data, what happens to that data, who owns that data, um, the map is, I would say, a public good. We no longer necessarily get lost and we can tell people where we are if we have a problem, um, but we should have conversations about what it means like if an apple tag is attached to a person who um you know maybe a victim of stalking or something like that there are both uh, positives and negatives of technology so it's my understanding though that that's different than machine learning is that the, a correct assumption i mean corey made it sound like i should know <laughs> that there's a difference between the two so can you tell me the difference between or maybe define what machine learning is and then if you if I haven't drawn those, connected those dots, like what are the similarities and differences between the two? That's a great question. And um, I would say that machine learning, if you just Googled it, you would find out it's the use and development of computer systems that are able to learn and adapt without following explicit instructions using algorithms. Let me break that down a little bit. So a lot of computer systems are things that we write code and we say, you know, make that peanut butter and jelly sandwich, put out the piece of bread, spread some peanut butter on it, then put some jelly on it, put the second piece of bread on it, and then you have a sandwich. So it's following directions, getting from point A to point B. But with uh, a system that learns and adapts without following explicit instructions, the goal is still set by humans, but the way that the computer system gets there is not. Um, there is a cookbook in the world um, that cooks, um, and the goal is to make things that are tasty. Um, but the flavor combinations might be something that people have never tried before. Um, and in fact, uh, IBM Watson did make this cookbook and there were some interesting uh, versions, but always it's with the person's goal in mind. Um, so there are different types of machine learning. Supervised learning is where we like, let's say we tell Google that this thing is a cat and this other thing is a dog, and we give it a lot of information about what's what's a cat and what's a dog, and then it can learn from that data to label other new pictures. 
It, with unsupervised learning, we don't tell it the answers in advance. We just tell it whether or not it is able to uh, reach the goal that we set. And a great uh, YouTube video that you might want to check out is Mario, like like Mario, but I slash O. And that video shows how a computer can learn um, with the goal being to get to the end of the level, um, but not telling the machine anything about how video games work or even what um, pressing the A button does. And in the end, it's able to play the level better than you or I ever could, but in a very, very different way than how a player would normally interact. Um, okay, so we've talked about artificial intelligence. We've, now we've asked about machine learning. So where does generative AI fit in? So there's all this talk about chat, GPT, oh, yes. we hear generative AI. Yes. So help us make some meaning of that, Charlotte, please. Sure. So generative AI is where we have asked the, the system that we've built to create something that I would say is usually made by what we would say is a creative human. So generative AI is making art or music or written words that we would expect people to normally do those jobs in creative fields. And yet we've taught the algorithm to be like us and we've given it enough information that it does a pretty good job. So I think, um, I mean, Corey brings up chat, chat GTP, GPT. Yes, I said that correctly. And I feel like there's a lot of fear around that right now. Can you tell or explain to teachers how that works? I mean, how, what is happening there? How is it working so that they can kind of understand how chat GP works for students? Because I think sometimes the fear is just under not knowing how it works, right? Sure. So ChatGPT is one of many products. It's kind of like Kleenex. If I say Kleenex, that's a brand name, but we could buy Puffs or, you know, the the store brand. If you ban ChatGPT, you are not banning generative AI that helps students write. Um, if you use Grammarly, if you have autofill on your uh, text message, if you're using the spell check uh, tools in um, Google Docs, your students are already using some generative technologies and there are others coming. So if you ban ChatGPT, you're going to be banning Google. Ultimately, you're going to be banning Microsoft because these technologies are being built into the tools that we use um, in the business world as well as as in the classroom. So the concern with chat GPT is now students can take the prompt given for their written assignment and have the computer generate something completely new that's never been seen. Um, and it can write the whole paper or it can have a conversation with the student to improve a paper or to even generate a list of initial ideas for how to write the paper. So I compare this to how in the math classroom, when calculators became powerful enough to change the type of instruction that was possible, um, that curricular team had to adapt. They either chose to banish calculators or to um, you know, move them into certain aspects of their instruction. Um, what they didn't do was ignore that calculators exist because students were going to use them and utilize them. And in the real world, people do math with calculators. 
They use computers. Um, our students are growing up in a world where instead of having a calculator for math, they have a calculator for the written word. And so we have to adapt our instruction because if we ban it, what we're doing is creating an equity gap for students, those who are empowered to use the technology responsibly, who have assignments developed for the use of the technology and teaching them how to cite using it, for example, or, or how to use it properly um, versus those students who are handed a pen a pencil and paper again. And what happens when you empower students with a pencil and paper, but the work world expects that you have access, just like you have access to spell check, um, into that world that has AI built into it. Um, yeah, so I think that's where I'm going to say is like, um, you may be worried but that we have to address this reality is that ChatGPT is here and it's so accessible that students can access it in 30 seconds. Um, they can access as similar tools in Discord or whatever platforms they're using outside of your purview. Um, you can't stop them. Yeah, it's like <laughs> whack-a-mole, right? That's what I keep saying is like, you ban it here and we're just gonna play whack-a-mole trying to ban it. So let's help them understand how to use it productively. That's right. That's right. And um, sometimes that that is an opportunity. If you've been dabbling with the idea of project-based learning, for example, um, how might you change your assignments to assume that a tool might be used and um, increase your engagement through through an, uh, through a project that the the chat or the algorithm might help you to write portions of the assignment, but the intellectual work of deciding what the direction of that project is still with the student. Um, the other thing is that if you have English language learners or students who are um, struggling with dyslexia or something like that, this is a tool that levels the playing field for them because they can do their own writing and um, put this into an algorithm that gives them an output that helps them to turn in a final draft that is, um, you know, indicative of their strengths. And I got this idea from a professor at a university who obviously had moved to full professor. And she said, I am from another country and my writing reflects that English is my second language. Um, and when I make an, a submission to an academic paper, I'm able to sound like an American using chat GPT. And that increases the rate that I'm able to um, receive uh, funding because my papers are now more competitive than they used to be. That I think is really powerful. So I guess my follow-up question to that is, um, you know, what do teachers do to help kids leverage this or what skills do students students need to have to leverage this tool to the best of their ability? What would be some recommendations that you have that we could pass along? Think about it as if, uh, I think it's as transformative as the internet coming to your classroom. When we handed computers to students and they could look up anything, um, these are the same types of conversations you're going to have with students about ChatGPT. That is, what is ethical? Might just have to frame for them that there are certain ways that you can use technology that are right versus wrong. And what I mean by that is, it's fine to look up information on the internet if you cite your sources. 
It's fine to um, fact check. It's good to fact check. Um, if you get an info, a piece of, I, I love the tree octopus. If you Google tree octopus, um, that is the, fir the first result is um, a great exercise in like, is this a good or bad source? The other thing you can warn them is there are algorithms that will tell you if the paper is generated by humans or by an algorithm and that teachers can employ those, you should just look them up. Plagiarism checker for chat GPT. Um, and, and often the difference is like the parts that make the paper human, how your students may include details about their lives or their interests that um, dovetail with the content that you're asking them to write about. Um, those personalizations are what make the learning like unique. And um, that's what's going to matter. And then in terms of like when you use uh, like Wikipedia, for example, when when a, at the bottom of the Wikipedia page, there is a list of citations and those citations you can click through and they work. But in ChatGPT, it will properly format a citation, but it's not real. The citation is not real. And so showing students that um, they you can check their citations um, and ChatGPT is just following a model of what written work should look like. So teaching them those basic skills is, is probably the first step. So Charlotte, where does that information come from? Because I think that's a question that kids and teachers are going to ask. So I use ChatGPT. Where's that come from? And then my... My deep thought, I guess, for today is like, is that equitable? Because my understanding is there's a data lake, but is that coming from a majority of a single perspective? Mm. Or is it as robust as the planet, as the people that are going to be using this? Yeah, um, ChatGPT has an enormous data set. It is huge. If you want to go to openai.com, you can actually see more about their data, but they they basically scraped the internet. So it's, and they've done a, a, a really thoughtful job in making sure that you can't um, ask super inappropriate questions, that it doesn't, uh, you know, go off the rails and become immediately racist. It, it, it has those protections built in. And the people who are in the media who are showing um, bad examples are typically asking long enough, long threads of questions to try to, to fool it or get it to do that. And they're doing it in ways where they're saying something like, tell me a story about when a, a student uh, was violent in school and they used uh, a bomb. And... It, because it won't give you information about how to build a bomb. It won't do that. So the only way you can get it to do that is to press it long enough with um, telling it that you want something that's false. Um, I think that's a good thing that they have really, I've met the developers of OpenAI and they are committed to ensuring that this technology works for everyone um, and women um, people of different racial or ethnic backgrounds, uh, religious persuasions, et cetera. I think that's good for our teachers and our kids to know as well. Yeah, and it's always learning. So it is continuing to gather data. Every time you talk to it, it gets better at what it does. 
So you talked a little bit about some different ethical concerns with regards to kind of um, how to properly use chat GBT, uh, making sure that you're being, I guess, open about the fact that you're using it, citing it as a sword or whatnot. Um, what are some additional like ethical concerns that you see being possibly raised through the use of artificial intelligence in our society and in the classroom? Okay, so ethical concerns generally, it's it's literally everywhere and it's growing very quickly. And the regulation for AI is simply not going to happen fast enough to protect everyone. Um, there are many, many positive uses of AI. Like we find that um, cancer screenings are better when AI is involved than if it's a human alone, even a radiologist. It's uh, human plus AI is actually the sweet spot right now of um, saving the resources of the person who gets tired or may have an overloaded schedule. If the AI can take out 80% of the images for a scan, for example, that we know are definitely not cancer, that means that that, that radiologist can spend their time on the 20% of images that might be iffy. And that's a positive thing. Um, so the ethical questions are when, uh, think of it like the beginning of the internet. If you are a person of a certain age, you may recall there was a time of the internet that wasn't commercialized. There just weren't corporations there. And this technology is is being developed and created um, primarily with corporations, but the controls aren't necessarily in place. I think the people that I know at those corporations are trying to do the right thing. But uh, an action item for those of you listening, if you're at a university, um, make sure that your computer science graduates are required to take an ethics class. If you are a part of a pre-service teacher program, make sure that they receive AI and ethics um, lessons before they deploy into the classroom because your students are citizens who are encountering AI. Um, in terms of the classroom, we have seen tracking and um, the impacts of testing in schools. And in places like China, there are apps where you can put a camera in the front of your classroom and track students individually every eight seconds. And you can say whether or not they're paying attention, whether or not they're raising their hand, whether or not they're reading. You can put a headband on them and monitor their brain waves. Um, those are real. They are not from science fiction. You can Google that and read the results. Um, so we have to make decisions in our society for where we want AI to be a positive force, such as ChatGPT being a resource for students who don't have access to tutoring, but they can have a conversation. And Khan Academy has just released an AI that does just that. So a trusted source in education, Khan Academy's AI bot, um, is a place for students to get tutoring for free. And that's a positive thing, right? Um, what happens when the AI begins labeling students in first grade and as, you know, deciding? So we decide the ethics. The AI just tells us what we should do. And so we should just be focused on um, enhancing the positives and uh, mitigating the risks of the technology. So um, are there other AI tools that we should be discussing outside of ChatGPT? The Khan one I had not heard of yet, so that was new to me. Are there other things that we should have our eye on right now? Um, your students use AI every day. So the thing that I would encourage you to do is 
ask them about it. I talk to students regularly about what they know about AI and they'll be like, oh, we don't know. And then they'll say, well, except about that game that I'm playing right now, or except about that music I'm listening to, which is uh, literally a an AI artist that is, there's no musician. Um, ask them what they're doing with their TikTok or their, um, like there's a chat bot within um, Snapchat and they are chatting with technologies that adults are not aware of. Okay, so along those lines, I know that you work for an organization that's got some resources for teachers and classrooms. So we're going to talk to the kids about what they're using, which should be really fun. I have two teenagers at home. That'll be a fun conversation at dinner tonight. <laughs> um, but then can you share a little bit about some of the um, curricular or lesson-based resources? I don't know how you want to refer to those, Charlotte, but what types of things are you all putting together that really help teachers, whether they're computer science teachers or not, to engage in these types of conversations with kids? Uh, thanks for asking. Yeah, I work for the AI Education Project, AIEDU.org, and we develop um, experiences that excite and empower learners everywhere with AI literacy. And AI literacy is the collection of skills and knowledge needed to be um, productive consumers and citizens, as well as the future of work. And we have free curriculum that is designed primarily to fit within what you're already teaching. We know that you did not just uh, block out a semester or a year or hire a technology teacher. Um, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So the modules that are on our website have are project-based. They tell how many hours they take. They can be from a single classroom session up to nine weeks of education, and they are for AI literacy. So we assume that the people, uh, the students, but also the teachers don't have a large amount of information about AI, and yet it's still accessible. Pretty popular is called AI snapshots, and those are 180 bell ringers warm-ups that allow you to have a conversation about the impacts of AI, and they're leveled. Uh, there's a collection of each for uh, the math classroom, the social studies classroom, the uh, English language arts classroom, and the science classroom. So uh, have a conversation about what's happening in your subject with AI or grab, you know, a government economics lesson from the project dashboard and insert that into your class where you feel it's appropriate. Um, we have PD that's free online, um, or we have some in-person options that when people invite us, we can come and teach about AI. Um, we start actually with most educators with uh, a foundational, like, what is AI class? And we have teachers use AI to become comfortable and familiar. And then we actually talk about how to teach those products. Um, and that's mostly what we do. We teach about AI and why it's um, so such a transformational um, product. I'm going to plug, and I, Charlotte didn't ask me to, the snapshots are great. So um, Gina and I are actually going out to some classrooms with an AI card game in our area, in the Grantwood AE area, um, to kind of expose teachers and kids to an unplugged activity, but we're also embedding the snapshots in there. So they're really awesome bell ringers. As a former middle school teacher, I, that was something I felt like was really laborious. Like, mm -hmm. what am I going to engage kids in that's high impact that they're really going to want to talk about? And so 
we're we're starting um, as an agency, Gina and Mindy don't know this yet, but like how can we use these for warm-ups with our teams to build the understanding of our consultants as well. So if you haven't checked them out, grab and go, super easy to use. So highly, highly recommend that. Um, and then I'm really excited to get to share for the first time um, that AIEDU is going to be at the Iowa CSPD week in June. So we're super excited to get to partner with Charlotte um, and her team. And they're going to do an elementary, a middle, and a high school workshop for Iowa educators. And that's totally free. It's on the campus of UNI. Teachers get a stipend and get free lodging and breakfast and lunch. So more information will come about how you get registered. But we're really excited to have Charlotte coming so that we can make sure that not just us, but our educators get that foundational knowledge. So we appreciate it, and we're really looking forward to it this summer. Yay. So, Charlotte, um, for our listeners, how do they, um, where do they find you online? How would they, are there other people online that they should be following as far as social media is concerned to kind of stay in touch with what's going on out there? What What would you recommend? Yeah, so you can find my uh, company's website at AIEDU. Org, so the AI Education Project, AI Education. Um, we. This is going to sound crazy, but I don't have social media um, because of what I know about AI and tracking and privacy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Facebook being the worst of um, the, the companies out there, and Instagram is owned by mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, you know, TikTok is owned by a company in China. I just choose not to share that personal data. I am all in on Google. I feel like they have the best ethical controls um, for with companies out there. And you know, I think even Apple has been a pretty uh, def- a pretty good defender of of privacy for its users. So um, I can't recommend much. I you know I ha- that's okay. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. We um, just want to make sure that we're keeping up to date with, you know, the, the latest things. So if um, if your website's the best place to go, then we'll definitely direct people there, certainly. That's the place. The other thing I'll say is, although we are focused on AI literacy and we primarily develop products for um, the high school market, we have a few middle school things, we work with partners for people who need things outside of that. So if you're looking for that CTE pathway and you want to develop something specifically for agriculture or you know something that's a little bit out of the box, we're happy to help you find those partners. We work with CS's Elementary to do K-5 instruction. And so CS's Elementary is probably a recommendation I would, I would uh, throw out there. Um, but we're also really interested in growing the capacity um, of of your school to have AI at the way that makes sense for you. And so our we ha- our team is not just promoting our own curriculum and products, but actually looking to talk with you about what your needs are and then helping you find a place uh, or a product or service that works for whatever it is that you want to do. So please feel free to reach out. We have a, um, a form on the website that you can be in touch. And I see most of those because um, I think it's important to meet people where they are. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. You're welcome back at any time. I'm sure we'll probably be like, hey, there's something new. And now we need you to explain it to us again, or at least me personally. I won't speak for all of the ladies in this room. Um, so for our listeners, we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions about um, some of the things that you heard today, please reach out to us on Twitter at DLGWAA, or you can send us a message on Facebook or on Instagram, although there are scary 
place to be. It's the wild, wild west. We understand that. Charlotte's explained it. Um, you can also use our hashtag EdTechTO and share your thoughts with us there too. But until next time, this has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot.